Everybody, my name is Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. Really glad to see you here on this Thanksgiving week or previous to Thanksgiving. And I'm sure a lot of us kind of have plans heading into this week, hoping the snow tapers off a little bit and we can get where we're going. Um, just out of curiosity, how many of you are playing the role of destination home for some sort of a family Thanksgiving meal? Anybody getting ready for that? All right. Anybody traveling away for Thanksgiving? All right. That's me this this Thanksgiving, we're, we're doing the thing that, in theory, people would call vacation, but I'm not really expecting it to feel like a vacation, because I'm going to be loading up two vans worth of family members and a couple guests and heading out of state and uh, kind of expect to, like, when I get back, to need to take a couple days off just to recoup from all that. Um, so one of the things that obviously comes up at Thanksgiving family meals is the news, right? And depending on whether your family is sort of like politically mixed or not, that could be a really tense discussion or it might just be everybody high-fiving and, you know, believing the same thing. So it kind of leaves me this question. What is the most relevant, most important news that you need to keep close tabs on? Now, there's no spiritual answer. This is not like Sunday school answer. This is just like you're booting up your computer, you're clicking on the news, you're watching the evening news, whatever it is, and you... What is the thing that, like, when they start talking about it, you feel like you need to lean forward and really catch the details? So I've, I've been thinking about this. Based on the amount of coverage that it receives, I believe I'm supposed to really, really care about this, right? The royal family. Now, you know, the, the queen, and I mean, it's not, not all, I mean, obviously I care about the people, right? But somehow, I don't really understand any of their job descriptions, and somehow they have a sense of like world leadership and influence, but I'm not sure what they do, right? Do you know what they do? I know they're supposed to look the part, which they seem to do a pretty good job. In fact, when you look at this picture of the royal family in England, you you, you realize that they, they have a meticulous set of rules they have to follow when they go out in public. The clothing they wear, the colors they choose. There's rules about the fingernail polish that the women are supposed to have. It's not supposed to distract from other elements of the kind of the royal appearance. Um, it, the, when the queen was alive, she would wear really bright colors, and that wasn't just because she liked them. She's actually supposed to wear a brighter color than the people around her so that your eyes are kind of drawn to the queen. And um, the men of uh, the royal family, if they attend a wedding, they're supposed to wear their military formal uniforms. So there's all these rules. And you say, well, I don't even know where those rules came from um, because I don't even know why these people's lives or jobs matter in the big scheme of things. But probably in over hundreds of years of having the British monarchy, there was some prince or something that did a certain thing and everybody liked that and then he told his kid that he had to do it and then like, you know, years later there's all this protocol that they have to follow. Now, thankfully, as a red-blooded American, you and I don't have to worry a whole lot about the royal family other than when they show up in the news. I'm surprised again. So in, first of all, nobody laughed at this meme and I think this one is hilarious. So people post that. So anyway, forget it if you don't understand. Um... <laughs> Here is our perception of royalty, right? Where did we get our idea of what a prince or a princess should look like? Probably all of us in this room, as a child, we all saw the same kinds of images about princes and princesses, right? It's Disney movies. 
And so you have Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, and, and then of course there's you know, the newer ones like the Little Mermaid and Belle, and there are all these, all these amazingly you know, beautiful princesses and handsome princes, and in the, in the way it's portrayed, in the, you know, if they walk into the town, like where the regular people live, it's all like old geezers and old hags and you know, terrible, but then the princess and the prince are just elegant and amazing, and you think, wow, how did, the, how did these cultures produce like you know, millions of ugly people and then like just a few fair beauties, right? So, and they all end up in the palace, and you, except for the ones that need to end up in the palace and they're in the common people and they're, they get found by the prince and lifted to the royal level. So we have all these images, right, of how a prince or princess should look or how they should dress, how they should behave, how they should talk. And, and it would look really out of place if you saw a member of the royal family not dressed as a royal, right? You would just notice it. Wouldn't necessarily be wrong for them to dress down or something, but if they did, you would, you would see it somehow. It would just look weird uh, for that to happen. So with that in mind, we're going to look at a little bit of what it means to dress the part of a Christian in Colossians chapter 3. Okay, so if you want to turn in the Bible there, I'd encourage you to open your Bible. Of course, some of the verses will be on the screen, uh, but it's always good to have your own Bible in hand Uh, Because an open Bible plus an open heart equals a changed life. And so you want your Bible open in front of you as often as possible just to say, Lord, you know, it's one thing to hear someone else talk about all this, but I want to see it for myself. So you can see that in the scripture today. In our series on Colossians, we've, we've really walked through what it means to believe in Jesus, why Jesus is a transformational figure for us and why his gospel, why the good news of what he did, what he accomplished, means something to us. Okay, so by way of quick review, verse, verse 6 of chapter 1 says this same good news, the gospel of Jesus, that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You say there are stories all over the world of people who follow Jesus, their lives are changed, and we celebrate all those, but we don't have to look very far to find a changed life, because if you follow Jesus, your life has been changed, so you also share a testimony of what it means to walk in the grace and joy of the Lord. Okay, and in this book of Colossians, we've learned that everything you need to be a whole person, you will discover in knowing Jesus Christ. So what's missing from life, if you don't have Jesus, is the fact that everything is of this world, and you were created for more than that. So there's this massive missing piece of your identity and your purpose and how you make decisions if you don't have Jesus in your life, even if you live the maximum best human lifestyle, it's still all earth-based, but you were created for more than just this world, and Jesus is how you discover that, how you step into that, that bigger um, more complete life. Okay, and then the whole book of Colossians summarized is in this statement, Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. And the more that you read this book of Colossians, the more you'll find out why that statement is true. Today we'll look at one more layer of why this is the case. Jesus in your life is the secret to your life, to understanding your life, like why you're here, what you're doing, Also, understanding how you can change, what your life is supposed to add up to, who you were created to be, all those things uh, you find in a relationship with Jesus as he is in your life, 
life itself starts to make more sense. Okay, and then we getting to chapter 3, a little closer to our text for today. We read in the first few verses that we died to this life, and we've been raised to a new life. So this life, being our earth-based, sadly tainted by sin existence, we died to that, and we've been now given something qualitatively better, something much bigger to live for and to be a part of, and that's how our hearts transform. Our hearts don't transform because we try to transform them. They transform because we're literally remade from the inside out. Jesus changes us. Jesus in our life is the key to changing our life. Okay, so all that set us up for our reading today. If you want to look to verse 12, we'll start there. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ, in all of its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Okay, there's a lot here. And when I think about this stretch of five verses here, this is almost like Christian living in a nutshell, right? If you said, what does it really mean to walk the way Jesus walked, to live this kind of life? Here it is. This is the, these are the qualities that would undergird a Christian life. The, the way of Jesus, the following of Jesus looks like these things. So that's what we want to unpack a little bit today and think about how we can do exactly what this text says, to clothe ourselves with the qualities of Jesus. But to do that, we have to go back to the first sentence, actually the first part of a sentence in verse 12, and see the reason why we would aspire to such, to such a different way of life than might come naturally to us. And here it is. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, and then here's the lifestyle. Now you could look at every item on the list that follows, the kindness, the humility, mercy, and you could probably make a case that all of those would be a better life than their alternative, right? So I'd rather be merciful than mean. I'd rather be humble than arrogant. I'd rather be kind than selfish. But the reason to pursue those things is not because they're just better for you than the other option, right? You could also say the reason to pursue kindness and humility and forgiveness is not just because God tells you you're supposed to. He does tell us that we should, but that's not actually the reason why you should. What is the reason why you should? It's because you have a new identity in your new life. And behavior always follows identity. Who you say you are, who you believe you are, is how you'll act, is what will happen, right? 
So since you recognize who God actually has saved you to become, it changes what you'll do next. Since God has chosen you to be among the holy people that he loves, now you go a certain direction. Since you are a royal, now you'll dress like a royal. And it won't be some sort of duty that you despise. It would be something that you might feel joyful about, right? You might, you might stand up a little taller. You might have a little more purpose in your step because you realize you've actually been called to play a part, to have a certain character. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must now step into this life of Jesus, literally donning the apparel spiritually of Jesus. So you say, well, what did Jesus wear when it came to his daily walk? Not what did he wear as far as clothing, but what did he wear as far as attitude? What did he wear as far as motivation? Well, humility, kindness, mercy. So in the same way that Jesus wore those things, you wear those things as his follower. So let's break this down a little bit, think it through. Christianity isn't about what you should do, it's about who you are. So some people will, they'll, they'll kind of encounter the teaching of Jesus and they'll say, ah, I'm, you know, whatever, I'm so far away from the ideals, I just feel guilty when I read this stuff. Christianity is just a big list of do's and don'ts. Let me ask you, is Christianity a list of do's and don'ts? Well, no. Some religions are, and a twisted version of Christianity might be, but actual Jesus following is not a list of what you should do, it's actually a transformation of who you are. So the way that you act, the things that you do, the things you choose are completely different, not because you consult a checklist of what you ought to be doing and go, oh wow, I wish I didn't have to be kind, but I guess I will because I'm a Christian. No, it's not. It, it, your heart is literally renovated. It's transformed. And you're saying, I want to take on the same kind of kindness that Jesus takes on because I'm now in the royal family picture. Here's Jesus in the middle of it. We're paying our attention to him, but I'm standing next to him now as one of his family, one of his followers. I want to wear what he wants me to wear. Um, I don't go into those photo shoots kind of with a rebel attitude to try to stand out. No, I would say, Lord, how do you want me to put on the qualities of what it looks like to be in your family? That's how I want to be recognized. Now, here's what's exciting about that. If you'll do it, if you'll put these things on, you will look different than people around you. People will start to recognize you as a Jesus follower not because you're better than them or because you can quote the Bible more than they can. It's actually because of how you're dressed in your attitude, in your responses to things. You'll, you'll take on a different quality of life as you follow Jesus. Okay, so we'll, we'll break down some of these qualities here in just a second and, and just be challenged by them. The goal of walking through this isn't for you to end up feeling guilty, like, oh man, I'm a million miles from this, this lifestyle. The goal is to say, well, Lord, this is who you've called me to be, You've already brought me into your family. So Lord, what, what do you, I, here's this great divine wardrobe. Lord, what would you like me to wear as I now face the world around me? Or as I face Thanksgiving dinner with family members I can't get along with? Or Lord, how do you, what do you want me to dress in that day? 
Okay, obedience to Jesus flows from my identity in Jesus. That's why religion doesn't work. Religion being defined as an attempt to try to improve yourself or an attempt to try to make God happy, that's not authentic Christianity, but a lot of people get confused and that's kind of how they think things work. It doesn't work, right? Because you can try to fix yourself, but you really don't have the power to do that. And God isn't even looking at you saying, make me happy by the way you live. He's bringing you into his household and making you a part of his family and saying, here, I'll, I'll give you now access to my wardrobe and you can dress as I dress, you can live as I lived. It's an amazing and privileged position to be called by Jesus' name, to be a Christian. So let's start with that. Your identity based on verse 12 is that you are holy and you're loved. Now just look at those two words for a moment. What I want you to do is take your first name and make them into a sentence. So for me, I would say Dan is holy and Dan is loved. Now you do that for yourself. Now it's reassuring, right? It's, a, it's good news. But it's also a little bit like it feels like maybe something's a little off, right? Because you'd say, I, I, it would be more comfortable to say something like, I'm kind of trying to be holy, and I hope that I'm loved. A lot of people perceive God that way. Their relationship with God, they think, is transactional. So they say, Lord, if, I, if I'll do this for you, maybe you'll do this for me. If I, if I really, really repent hard of my sins, maybe you'll love me then. That's, we, we think that, Lord, maybe someday I'll be holy, but right now I'm not. Here's what the Bible actually teaches. Jesus has already made you holy. You're already called by his name. You're already in the royal household. You're already a part of his family, which means you're already loved. So there's nothing that you could do from here to become more set apart for God's purpose or more loved by God. Right? Those things are already done. On the basis of that, now you're waking up and you're like the princess who wakes up in the castle and realizes like, I never thought this would happen to me, but here I am. And you stand and you, and you open up the big wardrobe and you have all these new garments to put on, all this new joy to experience. So in the wardrobe, you see all sorts of qualities that wouldn't naturally have been a part of your life before. It's not the way other people dress, but it's very distinctive. It's really obvious who's a royal when you put these on. Okay, so let's walk through some of these wardrobe items. Starting in verse 12, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Say, well, why would I do that? You go back to Jesus himself and you say, well, Jesus, everything he did was an act of tender-hearted mercy. His interface with humanity to begin with was that. His treatment of people who were down and out was that. His, even his treatment of the mean, prideful people was still merciful, right? At every level, Jesus just exuded mercy. He wore it like a robe. And so now as a little Jesus, as a Christian, you say, well, I want to put that robe on as well. That's part of my identity now as his follower, to be merciful. We, we've been given so much that we don't deserve, so much mercy from God 
We've failed so many times. We've made mistakes. We've outright sinned. There's all sorts of reasons why God would, you know, put us to the corners, sideline us, take us out, but instead he's merciful, right? So now as a Christian, I want to wear that same kind of mercy to the people around me. Kindness is the next one on the list. Think, wow, what does it mean to be kind? Just to, just to pivot your thinking a little bit from yourself to another person, to, to, be, to be looking at them and their better interests instead of just your own. Say, Jesus did that so well. He was so kind. Um, Lord, can I be kind like you? Could I wear the same garment of kindness in my life? Humility. Jesus could have come to the world on, you know, riding a lightning bolt chariot or something and, you know, arrogantly ascended the throne. He could have done whatever he wanted to. He's, he's God, right? But he came in such humility. A good friend of mine once told me that you don't know if you really have a servant's heart until someone treats you like a servant. That's a good point, right? We all would probably fancy that we're willing to serve and we're available to help, but as soon as someone presumes on that service, then you find out if you're actually a humble, servant-hearted person or if you're just as prideful as the next guy, right? So Jesus wore humility so well, and so we'd say, Lord, in the same attitude of humility you had, I want to apply that into my life, into my interactions. So this, this list of qualities doesn't come to us as a checklist of what you need to go work on. It comes to you instead as an identity that you can put on in your life and say, instead of being the way I used to be, now this is who I am. Why? Because I'm holy and because I'm loved by God. And my identity as a part of his family is to live this way instead of the way I used to live. So it's a joyful thing to embrace this. Say, okay, Lord, in every aspect of my life now, I'll be wearing these new clothes, which means in every interaction at work or in my family or wherever I am, this will be, the, this will be who I am because this is who you are. Then we get to gentleness, which I would say, like if I'm self-assessing, I, I want to think I'm a gentle person. Hey, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe some of you think that about yourselves too. You say, you know, I'm, uh, some of these I really struggle with, but I want to think I'm, I'm gentle. So to me, the greatest test of gentleness has come in the form of three four-year-olds who live at my house. Um, and they also tested me at age three and at age two, and, and a lot of other kids have been through my house and have tested me as well. And uh, so I feel like I'm constantly in some sort of gentleness, humility, forgiveness training uh, like, a, like a terrible boot camp or like Marine Hell Week or something. You know, it's just nonstop. So this morning, um, was it, and this always happens, if you've ever been a Bible teacher or preacher, you know how this works, that you, you know that you're going to teach about something, and so then the tests start coming for you, right? So I don't know how, you know, I knew this was coming. I was the one who said, like, I would preach this one and not Dell. So, like, I signed up for this. Okay, so here it was. This morning, Melissa is the one who's cooking Thanksgiving dinner, which I hope you all come to. Um, that's over. And so she, she was up and out early this morning, which meant that I was in charge of getting all the little kids and the older kids. Everybody had to be ready and on church on time, and I'm on to speak, so I need to get here a little bit early. And, you know, so the, the whole, it, there's, a, there's a lot of layers to what happens at our house on a Sunday morning. It's not all the garments of Jesus. I, I want it to be, but it's just, it doesn't always look that way from the outside. 
So this morning, the gentleness test came probably four or five minutes after we were supposed to already be in the car and on the way here. Four-year-old on my leg, like hugging my leg, screaming, I want Captain Crunch. <laughs> um, not willing to let go of my leg. Uh, so, so that was you know, just one little moment in the midst of many moments uh, this morning that were a test. Okay? So that test, I feel like I almost failed and then I maybe came through with like a D. All right? So here's what happened. I, I, this, and I feel bad admitting this, but you know, like I'm looking at the clock. I'm thinking, my goodness, like I'm already late. We've got to get there. There were extra supplies Melissa needed from her house. So there was like a little extra pressure going on. And here's, here's this four-year-old on my leg, like screaming Captain Crunch. And um, I said to him, the first, things I, the first thing I said was, you're wasting my time, <laughs> which, which was true, but like it just didn't feel like something Jesus would say to his child, right? <laughs> so I quickly corrected, like I knew that was wrong. I quickly said, and you're wasting your time too, um, to try to soften it somehow. And at the end of the story, I did go get him a baggie of Captain Crunch. I wouldn't recommend this as a parenting technique, like it wasn't consistent discipline or anything. It was just literally I had to get here, and that was, that was in the way of me getting here. So the nursery workers back there now have a Captain Crunch-empowered four-year-old that they can deal with, and not me. So it's not all bad. But um, gentleness tests probably come at you in lots of shapes and sizes, right? And the point isn't to go back and say, well, you know, how do I work harder at being gentle? The, the point is to say, I want to follow Jesus' pattern of gentleness with people. So when people are frustrating, when they don't meet expectations, when things aren't going my way, like gentleness is how Jesus would respond, that's how I'm called to respond as well. Okay? Right along with that is the next word on the list, patience. Um, so there again, you say, wow, Lord, I, I, I don't even know how to fix that in my life. Like I, I wish I was more patient, but in the moment I feel upset. Again, it's not necessarily you saying, okay, you know, roll up the sleeves and get more patient. It's actually saying, Jesus, you, you have identified me as a part of your royal family. And when a royal walks around, they're not losing their temper. They're not being impatient because they're representing you, right? So it's, it's, all, it's all tied to who you believe you are, not just what you think you ought to do. Verse 13 kicks it up a level. I mean, this, these are all challenging depending on where you're sitting, but I thought a lot about verse 13 in my life. Make allowance for each other's faults and then forgive anyone who offends you. And making allowance for faults is kind of, if you think about it, it's, it's a little bit like planning ahead for people to fail. So I'll let you raise your hand for this one. Some of you will be really excited about this. How many of you would say that you live with someone who is not perfect? All right, okay. Now remember, look around because they're, they're also raising their hand. So we all know that about each other, right? All of us know, not only do we make mistakes, like as human beings, like there'll just be moments when you, you know, you honestly forget something or you trip up somehow, you make a mess, you break something that you didn't, like you weren't intending wrong, but it just will happen. And then the other problem is we also have intentional wrong that we'll do to each other where we will say something mean or we will be impatient or something will happen that causes an offense. And here's the point. We know that about one another. So making allowance for faults means that I'm already creating some margin in my soul for you to mess up. 
right? I, I already know that's going to happen. So rather than believing somehow naively that you're going to be completely perfect for the rest of your life, and then the moment you're not, I'm like super upset because, my goodness, you didn't hit my expectation. What I'm really doing is saying, I know that we're all in this together, and so I can make some allowance for you to not be a perfect person, and then when you aren't, I'm going to pre-plan to forgive you. I'm not going to hold those offenses against you. Say, that sounds like really different than whatever, the, you know, the pursuit of justice in my heart to get everybody to be perfect. But let me ask you, is that not exactly what Jesus did? When he recruited his 12 disciples, did he expect them to bat a thousand and be perfect? No, he recruited them to disciple them out of wherever they were starting from. When Jesus accepted you into his family, did he, did he accept you on the basis that from that day forward you would never sin or make a mistake? No, he's, there's lots of allowance, right, for fault, because he loves you, because this is a family relationship. It's not transactional. So make allowance for each other's faults and then forgive offenses. Why? Well, we've been forgiven, and so we follow Jesus in forgiving others. So all of this just involves us looking up to Jesus saying, Jesus in my life is the secret to my life. Jesus is now a part of me, and I'm a part of him, and so that changes how I act and how I think. It'll change the words that come out of my mouth. And, and strangely, as hard as this may to be, be to believe if you've never walked this road, it doesn't actually feel like work to do that. Are there temptations you have to overcome? Absolutely. There are battles to fight. There are difficult days when there's work involved, but the the daily pattern of just saying I'm a child of God and I want to live that way is actually more of a joy than it is a duty, all right? So love, of course, verse 14 says binds all of this together, all of us together in perfect harmony. So above everything else, you put that on. Love is when I put you ahead of me. It's when I choose to care about you even though I don't have to. Love is when I maybe give up something of mine so that you can have what you need or so that you can smile like love is when you're actually thinking of another person ahead of you so jesus did that so we do that say lord that's that's the primary garment in a royal in a royal wardrobe uh, if there was any distinguishing mark of what it looks like to be a part of god's family it's that one okay the peace of christ verse 15 Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. So in a world that is definitely not peaceful, you get to stand out in a really brave and amazing way because you get to have peace when no one else does. Because your orientation, your identity is not derived from the way you feel that day or from the way the world's news is going or the way people are treating you, your identity is actually derived from Jesus. And so you can let that rule in your heart no matter what circumstances you're facing. Again, when you live this royal life, when you wear these clothes, it's really, really obvious that you're living a different kind of life than whatever you came from, whatever you used to live. Also in verse 15, he says, always be thankful. So that gratefulness versus ungratefulness, you're always looking at life from a, from a positive, grateful perspective rather than kind of a selfish, angry, I didn't quite get all I wanted perspective. Let the message of Christ fill your life and conversation. 
I love how it talks about the message of Christ and all of its richness filling your life. Just think there's a, the, a lot of us maybe fill our lives with other messages, but here you've got the opportunity as a Jesus follower to say who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he taught, that can actually fill you and, I, and, and it can start to define you. And so the words that you say, the way that you interface with other people, the songs that you sing, the things that are coming out of your heart, all of that is now bent toward the message of Christ because you are in his family. You're holy, you're loved, and so you're defined now by Jesus instead of by this world or by your past or uh, even by your own feelings. Okay, and then that comes to this sort of conclusion in verse 17, which I really like, um, especially in light of thinking of ourselves in, in terms of our new position that we have in Christ Everything that we do, everything about you, is now representative of Jesus, since you are his and he is yours. Everything about you, from the the secret attitudes of your heart that you suspect no one else might know, to the very overt words that you speak or behaviors that define you on the outside, all of that is now representative of Jesus. Not just the good stuff, but everything you do. And why would that be the case? Because now you're actually a part of God's family. And so when you live your life, when you open your mouth, you are representing Jesus. Think of it this way. If someone wanted to meet Jesus, they say, oh, you know, he's not here physically right now. And they say, okay, well, is there anyone else I can talk to? You're it, right? You and me. We represent Jesus in this world, in this life. And so everything we do, he says, whether in word or deed, all of it can be done in Jesus' name. All of it can be done as a representation of who he is. Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. And your external facing identity now, the who the world thinks you are, is you're a follower of Jesus. So all of that is great motivation to open up the wardrobe that you find in your castle tower now as a new royal family member and say, wow, these are the clothes I want to wear. This is the new identity that I've been blessed to gain in my life. Obedience from duty is drudgery. If you look at the Bible and you're like, oh man, now I have to be kind, that's drudgery. But obedience that flows out of identity, when you start to recognize who you are now, man, that's a joy. Because now you're going, of course I want to do things the way Jesus would do them. Uh, Of course I want to wear the same garments that he wore. So I see this text as a list of goals, a list of hopes for my own life. Not a checklist of what I have to do to make God happy or to feel like I succeeded in a day. No, instead I look at this and go, wow, this is who I want to become. And if you go back in the text to something we talked about last week, verse 10, very clearly, Paul is encouraging the Colossian church and then us to do this. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. All right, so I want to give you a challenge, and I think this challenge is going to help me this week probably on Thursday and Friday, as I interface with a whole range of people who somehow I'm related to, 
not all of which I would necessarily like joyfully choose to hang out with, right? But thankfully, they're not watching our services, so I'm <laughs> the. Then uh, um, they don't know who they are. There's a lot of there's a lot of people in my extended family, so um, so what I get to do is I get to walk in there not just as Dan. Um, in my own flesh, and my own purposes, with my own agenda, I get to walk in there, just like I get to walk into work tomorrow or anywhere else that I go, as a member of the royal family of Jesus, saved by him, loved by him, made holy by him, and now getting to wear his clothes out in public and represent him to a world that really, really needs to know him. Okay, so here's the challenge for you. Christian, are you, not are you, but you are holy, and you are loved. On that basis, how do you want to live your life? All right, let's pray and ask for God's help as we do that this week. Jesus, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for moving us in a direction we could have never gone on our own, for making heart transformation truly possible for us. Thank you, Lord, for demonstrating all of these qualities so well. Lord, as you dress, we want to dress. As you spoke, we want to speak. The motives of your heart, Lord, we pray would mirror the motives in our hearts. We, we want to reflect those. Lord, our behaviors and our intentions and our attitudes toward the situations we face, all of those, Lord, we want to face from our new position, not the way we might have done it years ago, not the way the world around us would tell us to do it, not even the way our, our flesh might be tempted to respond in the moment, but Lord, we, we want to truly wear your clothes here, and when mercy is called for, we want to step forward. When humility or gentleness or patience are needed, Lord, I pray that we would um, embrace that. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the way. Thank you for empowering us to walk this way, and thank you for calling us to be in your family. We look forward to living it out this week. In Jesus' name.